Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 75. Guess what? Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. You can check out all my free resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. This week I'm talking to John Harper from BAM Radio's podcast, My Bad. John is currently the assistant principal at Sandy Hill Elementary School in Cambridge, Maryland. It's his sixth year as serving as an assistant principal at the elementary level. And prior to that, he served as a math coach and an elementary school teacher. During his 10 years as a classroom teacher, he taught first, second, fourth, and fifth grades. And during his sixth year teaching, he earned the National Board Certification, which he held for 10 years. John received his BA from Furman University while majoring in philosophy, and he went on to earn a BS from South, is it Salisbury? Salisbury. Salisbury, sorry. And he went on to earn his BS from Salisbury University while majoring in elementary education. He was fortunate enough to student teach in New Zealand, and he eventually received his MA degree from Salisbury in public school administration. He lives in Maryland with his amazing wife and two awesome children. John Harper, welcome to Principal Matters. We're so glad that you're with us, and uh, let me give you an opportunity to fill in the blanks there on anything I didn't say about you that you'd like my listeners to know before I begin asking you some questions. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on, Will. You pretty much said it all. I guess the only other thing is one of my passions is blogging. I also blog for BAM Radio. Awesome. I enjoy that a lot. Uh, podcasting might be my favorite thing right now because I just get to talk to so many amazing individuals, and you know, I have a lot of folks on that trust me with their story. And that's, that's very, very powerful. So I, but you got it all. Well, I want to jump right into this conversation, John, because you have an amazing podcast that I believe taps into a conversation that a lot of school leaders or a lot of education blogs or a lot of education podcasts aren't having, where you focus a lot on mistakes that people make and the lessons learned from them. And so that's my first question. Why did you choose to create a radio show focused on that theme? Right. No, that's a, that's a good question. And basically, it took, something took place a couple of years ago with my daughter when I was, I was watching her at a soccer practice. She's 11 years old now, but she was about nine years old. And she, she was the only girl on the team, and she was the only one who never played soccer before. And I'm watching her practice, and as I look over, I watch my daughter score a goal for the wrong team in a soccer practice. And as a dad, I thought to myself, Wow, this this could be uh, this could be tough. What am I going to say to her? Is she going to start crying? Is this really going to upset her? Because something like that could be very emotional. I really I really didn't know how to prepare myself. I thought, you know what, John, you better be ready for anything. She might just want to quit and say, "Take me home, Daddy," because scoring a goal for the other team can be can be painful. And as she's walking over, I was nervous. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I was thinking, you know, maybe I get my best Disney dad speech ready, <laughs> but really. I didn't have to because she walked up to me and she said, Daddy, I too. Daddy, I'm I'm just like you. And I'm thinking, what in the world is my child talking about? And she said, Daddy, I too scored a goal for the other team. And then it hit me that I had shared with her that when I was in high school, I scored a goal in sudden death overtime for the other team. And it didn't happen right away, but probably about – a half a year later, I started thinking to myself, you know what? That was powerful. I mean, what if I had never shared that with her? She could have been devastated by that mistake, which doesn't seem that big, but 
you know what? The fact that she knew that her daddy made the same mistake. I mean, she, she wasn't upset about it at all. Mm -hmm. And it inspired me to have people come on and share their mistakes. And I'll be honest with you. I, I like that listeners learn from the, from the specific mistakes, but more than anything, I want listeners to realize that we do make mistakes and I want listeners to ease up on themselves to mm -hmm. not be so hard because education is a profession. I mean, a lot of them, but I notice in education a lot, we can go through a day and go home and have 15 things go great mm -hmm. and two things didn't go well. Mm -hmm. And what do we think about? We think about the two things that didn't go that well. Right. And it's just, it's painful to watch. I see with educators, I've experienced it myself. I'm getting better with it, but you know, it's been very powerful to have guests come on and share some really big mistakes and then have somebody direct message me or tweet me or, you know, vox me or just say, you know what, John, that was so good to hear because you know what, it's good to hear that, you know, Todd Nesloni made that mistake or Dave Burgess made that mistake or, you know, Rose Isaiah made this mistake or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just people that you look at online and you think, oh my gosh, these people must be perfect. No, they're just like us. I mean, they're awesome, but they make mistakes just like us. And the power of hearing other people's mistakes and hearing about their journeys has been what's inspired me to continue having guests on and just, it keeps me going. I'm, I'm very honored that they trust me with their stories. Well, stories are, are powerful. And I think that so often it's the, it's, I don't know, it's the pedagogy that I love because it's the way that I tend to learn most. And I think it's a powerful tool when interacting with students, but I think it works for lots of people that the story is what helps them step into a moment of understanding that they wouldn't have any other way. And that story about your daughters is so powerful. Apply that in your own leadership, John. How did you take that moment with your daughter into your own practice? And if you want to share a story with us, I'm, there's some of my listeners I know who are familiar with your show and others who aren't. So what's a, a mistake in your own leadership where that lesson from your daughter you were able to apply in your work? You know, I, uh, I'm very open I'm a vice principal, as you said, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very open with staff members. And a lot of times if I have one-on-one -on -one conversations, I'll share with them different things that I hope will help them feel better about themselves. I'll be honest with you. And, and listeners know this and people that read my blog know this. I have anxiety and I take medication for anxiety. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, you know, I kept that secret. I kept that hidden. And, you know, I was inspired by Nicholas Provenzano and Joe Mazza and a couple other people, either TED Talks or blogs. And I finally realized, you know what, John, you've got to write a piece about this. So a couple of years, I wrote a piece about it. And, you know, now I'm very open about it. I mean, I don't shout it from the rooftops, but mm -hmm. what I know mm -hmm. is I know I, you know, if, if someone comes to me, I can share with them, here's what I have, here's what I'm going through. And if they're going through something similar, I let them know that it's, it's okay not, not to judge themselves so harshly, not to, you know, because I consider that a mistake when we're so self-critical and, you know, I was for so long thinking, you know, what's wrong with me? But, you know, it is, I am who I am and taking this medication does help me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody, mm -hmm. not everybody, there are other folks who take medication for similar things. And what happens is when they hear me say that, I think they breathe a little bit and they realize, you know what, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe it's not horrible that I'm taking this and it's, it's helped them. I'm able to share with students. I'll be honest with you. I mean, cause I have students that take mm -hmm. medication and I'll say, look, I, I take meds too. It's all right. It's important that you take them. If it makes you a better you right now, that's okay. But more than anything, I want people just to give themselves a little bit of grace, stop beating themselves up. And, you know, I mean, I, I share mistakes all the time with staff members, more often in one-on-one -on -one intimate conversations, but, you know, sometimes in staff meetings. 
Well, I want you to go there for a second, John, because I think it's um, story is so powerful. Give us a mistake. What's one that you've that you've shared with a staff member or a teacher and another admin friend that you were able to pull a lesson from? Sure. I had one this year, I'll be honest with you, where I, I've done this a couple times and a couple episodes of my bad have been where guests came on and said this, but I, and I've done this more than once, obviously, but I completely lost my temper with a student mm-hmm. and I lost my temper. And it's a kid that I love very dearly. It was a kid. I remember the day I'll never forget. I had, you know, I was arranging things so that this, this uh, student could have a good day, different things I had in place and things just didn't go well. And I, I reacted very, very poorly. And I literally, I, I cussed at this child. Mm-hmm. I literally cursed at a child. I've never cursed at a child in my life. This is, I've been in education 20 years and I cursed at this child and it wasn't pretty. I mean, it was mm-hmm. probably one of the worst words you could possibly say. And the second it came out of my mouth, I thought, oh my gosh, what did I just do? And, you know, probably up until that point, if someone ever came to me and said, this teacher said this, or I heard a teacher do that, mm-hmm. I would think, oh my gosh, that is horrible. And, and, and it is bad. I don't mean it's not bad, but I think I'm less judgmental. In other words, I've shared this with teachers before. I said, look, I lost it one time and I did this. And it's also important to note that I did apologize to that student. I, there was someone in the community who happened to be out and work for the school. I had them bring this kid's mother to school. So I could, you know, look her face to face and say, look, I apologize. I cursed at your child and I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mom said, well, no, don't worry about it, Mr. Harper. You know, he has a way of doing that. He can upset you. I said, look, no, no, no. I'm, I'm the professional. I have no excuse. But I've shared that with teachers before who I know have, you know, maybe lost it on a kid and yeah. been inappropriate. And up until that moment, you think, no, there's no way that's ever appropriate. That person should be fired. And then I'm thinking, well, you know what? Someone showed me a little grace, a little forgiveness. I mean, I was wrong. There's no way around it. But, you know, I mean, just imagine if the first day, if, if you go into school, you were a principal and you curse at a kid. I mean, you're thinking, what in the world just came out of my mouth? But I think when people hear us share our mistakes, it, how can I put it? it Maggie Bellotto was a guest who came on my show, has one of the most powerful episodes. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, once the words come out of your mouth, they become powerless over you. And I think Mm -hmm. it's so true. It's not that what I did is any better. It was still very wrong, but it doesn't eat at me as much. It doesn't make me feel as bad. I mean, I I learn from it. I try to move forward. I mean, Todd Whitaker was my very first guest. And when he came on, he shared a big mistake where he lost his temper. He lost Mm -hmm. his temper at a basketball game when he was a coach Mm -hmm. and he got a technical foul. And he he vowed that he would never do that again. He wouldn't, he went in the locker room. He apologized. He said he would never do that again. He says, one thing to apologize but he said, more importantly than apologizing is actually not going off and losing your temper again. Or when you, yeah. you know, say you're not yeah. going to do something, don't repeat that mistake. Well, and, I, and that's what I love about your stories, John. And that's why I would encourage Principal Matters listeners to check out John Harper's podcast, My Bad, where every episode is an educator sharing a mistake that brings them a lesson. Because I think this, we are often harder on ourselves than we need to be. It doesn't mean that we don't need accountability or need to learn from mistakes, but we're all human. And so often in the mistakes that we make, we think that we're in isolation. We think we're the only ones that would do something like that. And I have found that in, in the practice of screwing up, especially when it, with, with students, but really with adults as well. But in my classroom years, learning the practice of apologizing when you mess up, it's not only humbling, but it, 
it really puts a check on you for the next time you're in that moment that this could happen again. And um, the good news is that every day is a fresh day and kids are so amazingly resilient and forgiving. That's the, that's the, that's the other thing that I love about um, working with students is when you are humble enough to say to someone, Hey, I messed up in this situation. I apologize. I've never had a kid not accept it. And so thanks for being so vulnerable, John. Here's my next question. You, I know that you're deeply reflective and um, well, actually, before I ask you that, I wanted to ask you this. Have you ever had any pushback? I, I know that often when we're talking about student discipline or mistakes that were in some ways revealing stories that are typically confidential, how do you protect yourself from pushback from teachers or students or parents for sharing mistakes that might also reveal other people, relationships with other people? That's a good question. And I guess there's a couple, couple answers to that. One, I think there's a, only a very, well, let me start again. I, I did at one time, and it's, it's amazing, it's only happened a couple times, get a little pushback from, from some folks on Twitter and Voxer and said, you know what, John, I think you're sharing stories that should be confidential. You're sharing some of these students' stories and they shouldn't be shared. And I listened and I, and I digested that. And, you know, I'm not above, you know, saying that I'm wrong. But then I thought about it and I thought, you know what, first of all, I, I never give names. Secondly, when I share stories through blogs or through a podcast, I never show a child in a negative light. In other words, it's always to show a a victory that a kid has made or a mistake that I have made. Mm -hmm. And I guess another thing is that the thing is, I think very, very few people are connected and have any idea what I'm doing in the sense. And I don't mean that I'm getting away with anything. I mean, what it is, is I think the, the main answer to that is that I always make sure that I show a child in a positive way. In other words, if a yeah. child has misbehaved, then my blog is probably about them having a victory that day and turning their day around. Well, and I think that's so instructive because when you listen to someone be vulnerable, it's so powerful for your own self-reflection. But I think it's important for those of us who maybe need to practice vulnerability more, and, and whether that's myself or, or folks listening to this program, what John does in these conversations is powerful, um, but I think it's important to that that you have that kind of mindset. How do I share those stories that reflect upon my own mistakes uh, while celebrating uh, students' victories? And uh, so that's that's great, John. I, I love that clarification. Let's talk just a moment about um, both sides of the brain. I, and, and my listeners have heard me talk about right brain and left brain leadership, uh, and you're deeply reflective. Uh, I can tell from your blogs and your podcasts that you're motivated by by love and creativity for students. And I call that the right brain of our leadership, where we we remember the awe and wonder that's involved in the work that we're called to do. But we also have to combine that passion with that left brain practical side. And so um, I know that you often reveal that um, that creative, deep, reflective side. But how do you combine that work with that left brain practical side that's involved in those day-to-day tasks of school leadership. How do you stay compassionate, but still get the job done? That's a good question. And, you know, I thought about it and I thought, how can I word this? It's going to sound right. And I'm going to be hundred percent honest with you. I'm not very good at the left brain stuff. <laughs> I'm not. I do a poor job with those left brain activities, with mm-hmm. staying organized, with always staying on task with, and, you know, I'm sure people that, work with me will definitely attest to that, that they have to keep me straight. I mean, I joke about that at school, but Mm -hmm. it's true. I mean, I have wonderful people around me that have to keep me straight and I don't do that good a job with the left brain stuff. I don't. And it's, 
It, it is difficult because that is a part of my job. It's very important. I'm not sure if you saw there was a, and I'm not sure if I can find the source to link to in my show notes or not. If I can, I will. But there was a piece that came out last year in an educational research source that identified the different styles of leadership. And it was talking about the fact that um, some leaders are visionaries and some leaders are architects and some leader, some leaders are coaches. And it, it was, it was a British publication and they were saying that the most effective leaders are um, actually in this piece of research architects, you know, people that are very great at organizing and systemizing things. And I looked at that piece and thought, well, I'm not an architect. I'm definitely, I'm definitely a dreamer and a visionary. I'm like, I'm a creative type. But I actually had that conversation with my staff. And so I can relate to your lack of left brain uh, strengths. And that's why I've always made it a goal to surround myself with other people who are strong, strong in those, in that regard, because, because they, we still need visionaries and we still need people that can remind us of our values and our motivations. Um, but we have to also have those practical steps to get the job done. So I'm just curious, John, what does a typical morning look like for you? Because you, you get a lot done. I mean, I know that you are communicating to me how hard it is to stay organized, et cetera, but you are a man who is accomplishing lots of tasks in school leadership, including uh, recording episodes for podcast and blogging. So how do you organize your day to pull all that off? I'll be honest with you. I, I used to do most of my writing. I, I get up early. First mm-hmm. of all, I mean, I, I get up around five o'clock, four thirty, five o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I used to do most of my blogging first thing in the morning. I notice as the year progress, as the school year progresses, mm-hmm. I'm not able to do that as much. I don't know if it's just residually being tired as the, as the mm-hmm. year goes on, but you know, I, I start writing early. I get to school. I, I, I'm very lucky in that I live about one minute from school. Now, this year, I'm actually split between two schools, but I live about literally one minute from school. I get to school. My day starts off. It, it's wonderful in that I get, I get to greet pretty much every kid that comes in the building each day mm-hmm. with a hug, a handshake, a high five, a fist bump or something like that. And then I spend a lot of the day in, in and out of classes. You know, either observing teachers, helping kids, meeting with parents. I, I have a lot of meetings with parents, a lot of meetings with children who are, who are struggling socially and emotionally. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of my time with students that are having a hard time social, with social emotional needs. And, you know, it can be exhausting, but it can be very rewarding when you see these kids make these steps forward. And it involves a lot of very intense conversations with parents, conversations with teachers, conversations with the students. Sometimes, you know, we might go to the kid's home. Sometimes we have a family and student liaison. He might bring the parent to us. So, so my day is very, very busy with that. And then when I, when I come home, I've, I've started something recently, probably the second half of the year, where I don't check my email when I get home. And Good for you. it's difficult. And what I literally do on my phone is I go on my phone and I close it. I, I close it so I can't even do it because there are times when I'll get addicted to social media. I wrote a piece about this uh, a couple weeks ago called the big four. And it was about Voxer, email, let's see, Voxer, email, Twitter, and Facebook. Mm-hmm. And how there was a day I was on vacation. Well, I was on vacation and I'm sitting there checking these four things constantly. I mean, literally trying to get my dopamine fix. And it was insane. And I said, John, you got to stop. And so, you know, I put it away, took out some paper and a pencil and just wrote down 20 things I can do to help, you know, move my personal life, my career, this, that, and the other forward. But, you know, when I get home, I, I try to focus on spending time with my kids. Mm-hmm. 
but I also have time for myself. And I think that's, that's one thing that as educators, a lot of times we don't allow ourselves to do that enough to decompress and take time for ourselves because I don't know who said it or, you know, you hear it a lot, but you, you can't pour from an empty jug. Yeah. And a lot of times the day will leave you empty and it's tough because it's very painful when I come home and I'm completely spent. And then my kids or my wife want to spend time with me and I'm a grouchy troll. And it's like, I just need a snack and I need to rest for a minute and then I'm ready to go again. But yeah. it can be tough. And it's, I, I feel bad when I mean, I've, I've talked about that as one of my mistakes before is that, you know, when I get home, I don't give my family the same amount of love and care and attention that I do the students at school. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's common among school leaders pouring our hearts and lives out in, in our schools and how do we keep that same kind of passion and focus when we get home? And so I love that, John. I love the fact that you're able to unplug, uh, focus on your kids. I actually went through a couple of years where I was so determined that I was going to stay driven by natural energy and exercise that I would not drink coffee. Whoa. And um, yeah, yeah. So I was like so proud of my not coffee drinking until, until one night I was home. We were getting supper ready for the kids and my wife just stopped and looked at me. And she said, Will, I really think you'd be a nicer dad if you drink coffee. <laughs> and so so I made a cup and drank it right then, just even though it was evening. And I was such a nicer guy for the rest of that night. And so I decided that my, my uh, pride in not drinking coffee would be replaced by my consuming it joyfully, um, knowing that if I did it at the right times of the day, it would be better for my kids. So whatever it takes, I know that, um, right. and, and in our jobs too, I also think there's a natural, a natural fatigue that happens as a school year progresses, because I can, no matter how much I've talked to people that talk about ending your year with celebration and with hurrah, which I'm a big fan of, of making sure you end your year with lots of, of uh, positive energy. I don't feel the same at the end of the school year as I do at the beginning uh, because I'm exhausted. And I think that as you go through a year two, you need to be forgiving and give yourself grace because there are seasons where sometimes you're you're hitting it on all cylinders better than others, and there are seasons where you're hitting walls or you're losing creativity or passion. And so I guess that leads into my own question. I'm already hearing you talking about this, but I just kind of want to park there for just a minute. But every person's wired differently, John. And, and so as I speak to school leaders, all of us have different gifts and personality types. And how do you bring your passions, your loves, your gifts, your talents into the work that you're doing as a school administrator, because you have a lot of passions, I think, that feed your ability to write and think deeply and connect with your own family and children. And I think you've, you've touched on this a little bit already, but how do you bring those passions into your day-to-day work? I think one of them is that, uh, I guess I said that not that many people listen to the podcast, but I think more people might read my blog pieces. In other mm-hmm. words, I've noticed that they might staff members or community members might read it through Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of times what I tried to do when I first started blogging, my passion was trying to find just beautiful moments in life. And when I write about them, I used to present on blogging. I mean, I still do sometimes. And I talk about exploding a moment and that's not my term. I can't remember who came up with that, but mm-hmm. basically finding these wonderful moments in life and really just finding the joy in them. And I try to, to slow down and get other staff members to do the same through my writing. I try to, model just staying calm. And even though the situation can be extremely intense, I think it's very important, especially as a school leader, but even, I mean, everyone can be a leader in their capacity to model being as calm as possible. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard. Like one of my favorite quotes is, and just to paraphrase, basically, 
being peaceful has to be with being calm in your heart in the midst of chaos and noise. Yeah, and peace. Going I think I've heard the quote, peace isn't the absence of conflict. Is, but I don't know if that's the direction you're going or not. Because sometimes we, we manage the craziest kinds of moments, but the mindset that we have during them sometimes actually can create peace. Yeah, that's it. it, it doesn't, that's what it is. Sorry. It doesn't mean to be that there isn't any noise or conflict or anything like that going on. It means you're in the midst of those things, but you're still calm in your heart. And so I, I try mm-hmm. to model that for folks. I try to model listening. I try to model kindness at, at all times. And, that, and that's not easy because right. education can be a very difficult job. And I think the one thing I guess that I really want to drive home to the staff members, to kids, to anybody, even to listeners is that try to learn each person's story because most mm-hmm. of the time, once you know their story, once you learn their story, it explains a lot about their behavior. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's going to excuse it, but once you understand someone's story, you see why they're that way. I say a lot of the kids that, I see on a daily basis, come to school at 211 degrees and water boils at 212. Mm. And so sometimes maybe just bump it into a kid the wrong way. If, if one kid bumps into another or just a glance the wrong way can set a kid off. And sometimes folks will wonder, well, how is that possible? And I'm That's thinking, great. well, we don't know what took place all the way up until they got to school. And it's the same thing with teachers. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with mothers and fathers. They may have gotten up at 4.30, packed three lunches, changed two diapers, had to do this, that, and the other. They come to school, and they're a little bit irritable and grouchy. Well, I've got to remember that you know they, they do have lives outside of school. Right. Just tr- trying, to, trying to learn everybody's story is so important, and I try to model that. I love that quote. I've never heard that before, John. Their students are at 211 degrees sometimes when they walk into school. That's a, that's a golden nugget. Something I've tried to think about too is that, you know, in, in our own school leadership, sometimes we, we are at 211 degrees. I've never thought, I've never said it that way, but I've thought similar thoughts about, you know, we may step straight from a classroom observation into a hallway with a kid who's exploding or, we may have a parent who's come in that's irate, or we may have had, an, you know, someone just email us of something horrible that's happened, and then we may step right from that moment of crisis or conflict into a conversation with someone who has no idea what kind of day we're having. But the difference in that situation, I believe, is that as school leaders, we have to remember that they don't have that luxury of knowing what all the other things going on, and we still owe them the courtesy of of appearing calm, of being courteous. Um, and sometimes you can be honest with someone and just say, Hey, I'm having, uh, I'm stepping into this conversation with you. I just had a really bad moment. So f- please forgive me as I gather myself. But I think sometimes um, we, we're more aware of those things happening to ourselves, but we often, we can easily forget that that's happening to lots of other people with whom we're interacting, especially students. And they don't have the maturity or the years that we have of having learned how to deal with it. And so I don't know about you, but for me, when I stepped from classroom to school admin, there was this huge learning moment for me. And it took me a long time to wrap my mind around why I was so stressed. And I realized it's because I'm hitting conflict faster and more consistently than I ever have in any other situation. And I'm managing conflict more than I've ever managed in any other situation because it's so much pronounced outside of the classroom when you're dealing with all the different conflicts happening throughout multiple classrooms or within a school day. So I, I, I love those self-reflective moments, John. What advice would you give school leaders, especially those who have stepped from the classroom into school leadership and they just feel overwhelmed? And I don't think any of us ever escaped that, those moments of feeling overwhelmed, but how would you advise them 
to hold on and to stay um, invested in school leadership without burning out? I think, you know, I met an organizer one time, probably a couple years ago, and I don't use it, but I, I try to keep it in my head. And I think one very important thing is I would advise folks to have a passion outside of school. Mm. And it might be education related, but it's something different than your work. In other words, have a passion and pursue it like crazy. Have something that you're looking forward to when you get home each day that's, that you just can't wait to get home and work on. And I, I do this with students sometimes. I'll say, okay, because if I catch a student in crisis or there's really down or really angry, I'll say, okay, what are you looking forward to when you get home? What are you looking forward to this weekend? What are you looking forward to this summer, next month? And sometimes I'll say to kids, you know, put that in your head right now. When you're in the classroom and you're mad at this other kid, or you might be mad at the teacher, and it, you know, maybe because the teacher did something, or maybe they didn't, maybe you're just mad. I say, put your brain in another place. Try to take yourself somewhere else. And I would, I would say the same to administrators. You have to have something else that drives you mm-hmm. besides, besides family, if you have one, and besides work. Mm-hmm. It might be reading. It might be exercise. It might be writing. It might be something. But have something that, you know what, you can't wait to work on when you get home. I think I it's that. very, very important. I think a, another thing is that family is very important. And family doesn't always mean Wife and kids, family could mean, you know, your friends. We call our friends, our families, our brothers and our sisters. But, you know, Dwight Carter came on, my bad, uh, about a year ago. One of the most powerful episodes, one of the most listened to episodes of my bad. And he was, I mean, he shared so openly and honestly. He said, you have to put your family calendar first and your other calendar second. And he said, you know, once I realized I needed to do that, things were okay. He said, up until then, I didn't. And I was coming home exhausted and stressed when he was traveling and speaking in different places. Mm-hmm. You know, he said there were some nights he didn't even know where, what's, what uh, city he was in. Mm-hmm. And he said it just wasn't right. It was stressing out his daughter. It was stressing him out. And he said, I finally learned to do that. And he said, you know what? Sometimes there's emails that might take me a day or two to respond to. And I might get a little ribbing about it or teased about it. He's like, but I don't care because you know what? I'm a lot less stressed. And I put, you know, first things first. And it's a cliche. It's easy to say that, but oftentimes we don't. We, we have our other calendars and then we fit our family or our friends or our passions into that. And we have to do it the other way around, I think. Wow, that's powerful. And I love both of those takeaways. You know, I think focusing on your passions, the things that, and it seems counterintuitive to take time to invest in yourself, but it's so, you have so much more creativity when you're taking time to do the things you love. I call it, how do you make your heart sing? That's what I ask people. What makes your heart sing? You know, what's the thing that you do that just gets you fired up or that gets you excited or that recharges your battery? And and for me, that's writing or music. Um, it's it's connecting. I can sit down and if I'm starting to burn out at a task on my computer, sometimes I'll just switch over and begin writing something because I love that. But for other people, for other people that may be running, it may be playing a musical instrument. It may be, you know, vegging out for 30 minutes with a stupid TV show, but whatever it is. You know, what is it that recharges your batteries? Take time for you. And then I love that second takeaway, which is, you know, prioritizing your family so that your school life fits around them, not the other way around. And and that's easier said than done. And uh, there are seasons of time, school leaders, where that's not always going to be easy. My wife every May says to me, Will, I have to remind myself every May when we get close to graduation, she said, every May, I think we need marriage counseling. <laughs> and And then every June, I feel like we're in love again. And so... She's finally realized that that's a, there's a season there where there's two or three weeks at the end of school where I'm just strapped for time because every event, every banquet, everything that's going on requires my presence. 
And, uh, and so she's learned that's a season, just like CPAs have tax season. Right. But it's important for us to recognize that too. And I like what you said about making your heart sing. And I think to uh, piggyback on that, I think as leaders, it's very important for us to know and try to find out and show interest in our staff and our students and find out what makes their heart sing. A lot of yeah. times, you know, I always say, when you're having these conversations with staff members in the hallway or in their class, it doesn't need to be about school. It doesn't need to be about the last benchmark test mm-hmm. or, you know, the next uh, curriculum change. Ask them how their kids doing in baseball. Ask them what they did last night. Ask them about their favorite movie. Did you see Game of Thrones last week? What did you think of that? What do you think about this? I mean, just try to get to know them as people. And once they know that you see them as people first and educators or whatever their role is second, you know, you, you got them on board. I think you got them on board. and then they show that in you and they see you more as a person and more as a human as opposed to, you know, the, the, one of the leaders of the building. And I think that changes everything. Well, John Harper, thank you so much for the conversation that we've been able to have with you on principal matters. And I would like to have you share, how can listeners connect with you online? What's the best way for them to connect with you? And then what's a, what's a parting thought that you'd like to leave uh, for listeners to chew on as they're getting ready to, to transition from summer um, back to school? The best way to contact me, I guess, is on Twitter at John Harper 70. And my name is uh, J-O-N. So it's a capital J-O-N Harper 70. You know, I even have relatives that still, still spell J-O-H-N, but at John Harper 70 or through uh, BAM Radio. And just look up my bad and then BAM Radio and you can find me through, I, I, I blog through BAM Radio and I have a podcast through BAM Radio. And I guess my parting thought would be as, as you're getting ready for the school year, Try to spend the next couple of weeks. It's so easy to spend the next couple of weeks going that crazy, trying to get your classroom ready, trying to do this, trying to do that. Spend a couple of weeks, spend a day, you know, treat yourself to doing nothing. Treat yourself to a vacation because once you get in there, it's going to be full throttle. But, you know, from now until school starts, relax a little bit. Give yourself some time so that when you start, you're ready physically, you're ready mentally. It's okay. I mean, it's okay to go to professional development, obviously, and to read if things that you're passionate about to do that. But make sure you rest and make sure you're ready because teaching, educating, leading, it's not only mental, it's physical and you got to be ready. Well, John Harper, thank you so much for giving us your valuable time during your summer vacation to reach out and, and connect with Principal Matters listeners. Uh, Principal Matters listeners, you can check out my show notes for all of the links and contact information for John Harper. Go over to BAM Radio, check out his podcast, My Bad, and you will not be disappointed. It's an an amazing podcast, and his blogs are uh, riveting to read. So thank you, John, for the time that you've spent with us, and thanks for leading schools, and thanks for doing what matters. Thank you, Will. It's my honor.